we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hello, listeners. It's Hannah on my own again today, um, but I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, who is Matt from Cocoon SDA. Welcome, Matt. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. How have you been? Busy. Busy, but good, which is always good in our space. Yes. Yes. So, um, Matt, we start the podcast with, um, where did you grow up? Uh, so, Toowoomba. So, I'm a born and bred Toowoomba boy. Um, so, lived in Toowoomba now 31 years. Um, yeah, haven't left. Oh, interesting. Is there something in particular you like about Toowoomba? Yeah, look, I think it's that that blend of city life. Um, so, you know, I do frequent Brisbane and the Gold Coast quite regularly. Um, I love that city vibe, but I also like the fact that I can get from one side of the town to the other in about 15 minutes. And I'm literally an hour and a half from the beach. So it still works out quite well. Yeah, what's the population of Toowoomba these days? Oh, I actually think it's up around 120,000. So oh. we're, we're fast becoming a very multicultural city. Uh-huh. Um, we have quite a, a good little program through Multicultural Australia where I know that there's a lot of refugee status um, people coming in. So, yeah, I think we're sitting around that 110, 120,000. Oh, fabulous. I did mean to look it up. Before we started and then I completely forgot. So there you go. Oh, okay. What led you to the disability sector? So I guess I'm one of those, probably not unique cases, but, you know, far and, and few that that I probably live and breathe the NDIS sector. Um, so I am a amputee. Um, I had a really bad motorbike accident back in 2014. Um, before that, I was your normal 22-year-old man that worked in a warehouse or worked in sales, things like that, and um, just went to the Gold Coast literally a day before I was meant to start a new job. And I, yeah, ended up in a coma that night, and that's probably where it started. Um, I sort of had to re-navigate, I guess, my life in general, and it was sort of lived experience that sort of just pushed me down a pathway of wanting to help people. So it's been a, a gradual little process of starting out in, you know, something like an insurance call center where I, you know, was helping people there and slowly navigated through the the DES sort of background and, and hit the NDIS service sector and haven't looked back. Yeah. Do you find that you feel, do you feel that you have a particular perspective because you are someone who uses the system as well as works in it? Absolutely. Um, I think I think when you live and breathe it, so I guess not only do I have myself being an amputee, PTSD, you know, all the things that come along having a really bad motorbike accident, um, I also have a godson that probably means the world to me more than me. He's um, eight cerebral palsy, ADHD, ASD, a few other things. Um, and then I've got a, a very close family member that's got a son with autism, another son with autism, a daughter with Down syndrome. So for me, it's I'm probably really invested that, yeah, I definitely think I probably see it from a 
probably a enthusiastic, my heart is in it more than my head. If that's, that's probably the easiest way to say it. Yeah. I, I probably put everything into it. I'm one of those guys that I probably work myself to death because I'm so dedicated to our sector. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I love that you are someone who would live and breathe it because I'm, I'm very the similar in that sense. And sometimes when I talk to some people who don't know as much about the NDIS, I forget that I actually, it is my entire world and it's not everybody's. And, um, yeah, newsflash, this isn't everybody's thing. <laughs> um, no. And I forget that some people don't have or or that some people aren't as in the detail of it all as I am. And I'm like, how do you not know X, Y and Z? And then I'm like, I'll make a podcast. <laughs> and, you know, in a, in a similar way because I just, you know, I have accidentally trapped people at a cafe talking for hours and hours because it is just so interesting to me and I and and like I really like the NDIS there's so much to like about the NDIS and then there's so much we want to improve obviously and so I can talk about all of this endlessly. (laughs) Look I'm the same so you know I I guess prior to to my original accident, I would never have known anything to do with the disability sector. And and I'm quite open in putting my hand up and saying, I was never looking at a career within, you know, community services. I was going down the pathways of becoming a salesman, you know, car sales, things like that. Um, It was literally the, the life changing incident where you go, wow, like, you know, I look at it now and go, I want to help shape the NDIS to what I would want it in case I need to have supports later on in life. Um, I love the NDIS for the pure fact that if I didn't have it, I wouldn't walk. You know, the, the hospital gives you a very basic prosthetic limb, which, you know, when they even gave me it, they went, this is what someone that's aged around that 70 mark will have as their everyday leg. And I went, well, I'm 25 and I'm not going to want a 70-year-old's leg at 25. So, you know, the the NDIS has given me that opportunity to get into a leg that is one step below a Paralympian level, you know, because of my dedication of wanting to play sport and still playing sport at a a mainstream level, not just looking at, at para, that yeah, if I didn't have the NDIS, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, great. And what, does this, what sort of sports do you play? Um, so I'm, a, I'm actually a cricketer. So I play both outdoor and indoor still at a, an amateur level, I guess you could say. So I play in the, the southeast Queensland version of um, indoor cricket, sort of super league is what we call it. Um, so I play around that sort of third grade level. Um, and then outdoor, I, I still play around that sort of reserve grade, sort of B grade, second grade level in Toowoomba. Um, I'm also now about to, and it's actually really a coincidence that I'm coming on here today is in about a month's time, I'm actually traveling down to Sydney and I'm going to play in the Australian pickleball championships. You're sitting there going, I have no idea what pickleball is. Uh, look, I've heard of it before, but I don't know what exactly it is, what it involves. It's one of the sports that are actually um, taking inclusion seriously. So to put this into perspective, and and my passion may come out here, cricket actually doesn't have any type of inclusive practice for a physical disability. So they have an intellectual disability, um, a deaf and a blind cricket program. But if your disability is of a physical nature, there's no pathways for you to play for your state or your country. Surprising because I know about those other parts of cricket and so I'm that's intriguing to me and and it's great that you you were able to highlight it here. Um 
because that sucks. It does. Um, I've tried. So I've gone to Queensland Cricket for both an outdoor and an indoor avenue because they're run by two separate bodies. And both times I get a, oh, okay, let's put it forward to Cricket Australia. And I even tried to call Cricket Australia very early on. And I spoke to a guy that introduced himself as an inclusion committee member, I guess. Well, that's what we'll call him today. And yeah, I get nowhere. They can, I think, unfortunately, it's funding. They're funded by Lord Taverners Australia, which is known for funding intellectual disability sporting programs. So, yeah, so I've taken it upon myself to go and play pickleball. Um, Their para pickleball is actually open to any person with a disability, physical, intellectual, any. So tell me about pickleball first. I mean, that's that's great. So is it with a racket? Like, what are we talking here? So you're basically looking a hybrid of badminton, table tennis and squash. Okay. So you're playing on a badminton-sized court. You're using a carbon fibre paddle that is probably the hybrid of a table tennis paddle and a tennis racket. Okay. And you're using a ball that – now, if anyone from the pickleball world hear this, please don't take offence, but (laughs) I call it the – you know the two balls that have the the little plastic-coated balls with holes in them and a whistle that you – play with your dogs with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that. So it's a hard plastic, small holes for the aerodynamic, and it's the shape of a sort of a tennis ball. Okay. Um, And it's basically like tennis, um, very different rules. So, you know, there's a certain part, because it's a much smaller court, there's parts of the court that you can't go in to hit the ball on the full. At the start of a rally, you've got to let the ball bounce a couple of times. And a lot of the game is played at the net in a small little strategic instead of tennis where it's very much a a grunt and let's try and pin the back corners and hit the ball hard. Um, pickleball sort of goes more into a strategy of, uh, they call it a dink, where you literally just dink it over the net. And it's sort of a, a skill, um, really good for someone with hand-eye coordination. Coming from a cricket background, I find that I probably hit the ball with a little bit more spin and being able to, you know, wrist movement and things like that. Um, but that's the sport in a nutshell. Ah, very good. Yeah, and I can understand how cricket would be helpful for that. I have no hand-eye coordination, like a zero. So <laughs> ball sports have always been something I've avoided because otherwise balls just go straight in my face. Yeah, see, I love ball sports. It's literally all I've grown up with. Like I've played cricket since I was seven. So it, I actually started it by what I was doing at the time last year. I was working at an indoor sporting centre um, in Toowoomba where I was trying to do a lot more inclusiveness. And I just saw this sport and thought, oh, let's give it a crack. So that's how my little passion has started with it. And, you know, now I'm within Cocoon where we're looking at ways that we can start up some life development skill type programs. Um, where we're looking to utilise pickleball as a way to try and get any person with any disability. But it's sort of something that I think will really be appealing to that sort of teenage boy type ASD niche. Yeah, right. Um, I've been told I, I was able to attend a couple of the Ready, Set, Connect events last week and a lot of the feedback I got when talking about it was, oh, that's awesome. That would be really great for our 16-year-old young fellow that needs to blow off some steam and learn some life skills about teamwork and um, motor skills and how to make sure that you're coming to an event on time and just little things like that. Yeah, I could definitely see how it would build those sorts of skills and even communication skills because you've got to be able to communicate with teammates and... and yep learn the rules so you've got to be able to be paying attention and yeah yeah absolutely and the rules in themselves are are quite tricky yeah once you're getting into sort of that tournament play they do start to get quite quite deep and and quite tricky but for social play yeah it's something that'll be easy to pick up on 
So tell me a little bit more about um, your position currently at Cocoon and, and what you s- sort of specifically do and, and try to have happening. Yeah, so I'm one of three um, community engagement managers across Queensland. Um, so I guess for those that aren't fully aware as to what Cocoon is, so Cocoon SDA Care is a national SDA provider. Um, we also have an avenue of our business that provides your normal sort of service provider. So, you know, SIL, MTA, STA, we're starting to look at a bit more of the ILO factor. Uh, but for me, my role is really to get out into the community, I guess, show the direction that Cocoon are looking to take. Um, we've sort of changed a bit of the mindset of, of how we're running as a business in the last let's say six weeks, um, we're really starting to focus on getting out and collaborating with more providers. Um, we're Australia wide. We want to work with everyone. We are literally here because we're very grateful that we have some really good investors that we deal with in getting these properties. You know, we're very lucky that any property that we have that is SDA enrolled is always going to be that robust level at the the lowest, I guess you could say, but even our SIL properties that we invest in that we don't then enroll, that we then look to provide the supports in, they're robust, high physical or improved livability. So as a company, we're, we're all about trying to take it to the next level of providing a high quality service, but now looking at how we can collaborate with others because at the end of the day, we're the National Disability Insurance Scheme. We're here to work together. Should be for the participants. You know, that's one thing that me, from a personal perspective, I am big on, I may not be your answer, but I may know your answer and may be able to work with your answer. Um, so I'm a, I'm very lucky to have my role. I, I literally get to go out and meet participants, meet other providers. Obviously, I, I met yourself, Hannah, through one of Get Going Supports coffee connect events you know being able to meet other providers is literally what I enjoy about my job and then connecting with the participants being able to see the smile on someone's face when I know that I'm helping them maybe get into their forever home yeah yeah absolutely so I think you wanted to talk a little bit about mental health yeah 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 look um probably another passion of mine Mm -hmm. which a lot of people would go Oh, geez. You know, but again, I think for me, as a person with a disability that has experienced both aspects of life, um, obviously I've gone through life with probably not recognising any types of disability. Um, Now that I look back after my accident, there was probably some signs that I may have had my own mental health barriers in life, but as a, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old guy, I probably didn't want to admit it and didn't want to look at it. Um, Even post-accident, I went through a stage. So I guess to put it into perspective, I was in a coma for nine days, intensive care for 14 days. I spent my first stint in hospital. I spent a total of 76 days. I think my total surgery number right now to date is up around 35 since November 2014 Um, and during that first day I probably developed a fair bit of depression Um, I probably didn't see it at the time it was one of those things where it was November December so it was cricket season I was very I think I was very fortunate that my accident happened on the Gold Coast so I was in Gold Coast University Hospital which is probably one of your best possible trauma hospitals in you know, Queensland, Mm. that I was very lucky. I had a TV literally right in front of me. Nice. (laughs) And what I was literally doing was all I was asking for was to shut the lines and turn the lights off so that I could watch the cricket and not get the glare. But behind closed doors, the doctors were looking at that as, is he forming depression? Um, I look back now and I probably was, but I was utilising a mirror tactic to not admit it yeah yeah um 
I think as I've gone on in, in life, you know, I, I kept my leg for two and a half years post my accident in 2014. So I was, you know, Tramadol, Tarjan, Lyrica, Patadol, Nurofen. I was just on that many painkillers that, you know, it, it wasn't funny that I ended up getting to a stage where I couldn't live any longer with my leg. And again, probably PTSD and mental health was coming into that as well. I'm very lucky that I've, you know, I'm going to say I've probably got the best woman in the world beside me that at the time was my girlfriend and then became fiance and now wife. You know, she met me after my accident, but before my amputation. And um, whenever I tell someone my story, I, I do tell them that I actually gave her the option to leave yep. when I chose to get the amputation. Um, I was told when I got my amputation that due to my weight at the time, I had to prepare for life in a wheelchair. Oh, gosh. Very big issue that I have with the hospital system, but I think I'll get to that a bit later. Sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I offered her the chance to leave, which, again, was probably an aspect of mental health. Um, she told me I was a dickhead and pulled my head in and, now she works in the sector as well and is studying to be a behavioural prac. So I sometimes go, what have I done? I'm now <laughs> going to be dealing with a behavioural prac for the rest of my life that I may become her, her study someday. So, um, yes, mental health sort of for me, it, it stayed with me. Um, I'm very open and honest to this day that I would have PTSD. I'm very open in saying that certain things just make me close up I have my good days I have my bad days where Maddie my wife actually sees it and she goes you're what's up you're you're having a bad day aren't you um but it's probably made me again take it into my role and and just life and go it, it is okay to be a man and and admit that you're not fully okay um, it took me ages to go and see a psychologist. Yeah. I started having night terrors where I ended up being an amputee. I sleep without a leg on. Yeah. So I ended up getting to a stage where I had to fall asleep sitting on the edge of my bed. I couldn't lie down straight. And as a result, when you've only got one contact to the ground, I was falling out of bed. Oh, why? And... It, it literally took to the stage where I actually put my knee through the wall and, and woke up with myself in the wall of our bedroom going, holy dooly. Um, okay. Where I then went, okay, look, I've got to go and talk to someone. And um, it took me a couple of psychologists to find one that I, I could like and could work with. You know, I, I am a very authentic person, whether that's at home or, or even in my job. You know, I, I find that authenticity is what we need in our sector. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important. I just want to really quickly highlight that the first psychologist you see may not suit you and that's okay. Keep trying because there will be one that will suit you, even if it's the fourth or the fifth one. It's worth persevering to find someone that suits you. 100%. That, that, is, that is actually a really good message to, to point out that don't think that all psychologists or mental health advocates are bad based on one experience. You know, the guy I met, he was very well respected in, in my region. But when I met him, he just continuously hit me with the, the medical terms. You know, and I went home going, I'm actually broken, yeah. which probably exacerbated it and made it worse for me um, to the point where I then started looking for them. And when I'd meet them, I'd go, right, I don't want your medical mumbo jumbo. I, I want an authentic conversation where I can tell you how I'm feeling and you can give me a practical way as to think about this and, and help me get out of this slump. You know, don't talk to me and give me this mumbo jumbo and use your science terms. You've, you're obviously smart. You've gone off, you've gone to uni, you've done everything. I don't need uni. I need authentic people skills. 
and yeah, you're right. It, it's going to take a few people to, to get there. Um, again, I had a really bad experience in the hospital system with a social worker where one put me down a pathway and one put my parents down a separate pathway to the point where we then clashed. And then it was only when we clashed, we figured out that the social worker was the one that was putting the ideas in both of our, our heads. Oh my goodness. You know, to the point where I ended up telling the social worker to politely never come back to me again. You can swear. Um, there is a warning at the beginning, so it's okay if, oh, if you swear. Oh, yeah, look. Well, let's put it this way. She was fucking shit. <laughs> um, yeah, don't get me started you know, on so, social workers in the hospital system. Um, I'm sure there's know, a good one. I just haven't oh, met look, them yet. <laughs> we could literally talk for hours about it, and I would end up probably blowing a valve first. I just don't understand it at times when there's people that work in these industries and they, I don't know. I don't know if they get a thrill out of it, but I think a lot of them need to understand and and we need to understand in our roles that our actions can cause a reaction in somebody else's life. Not enough people in our sector see that. And that's going right down from whether you're a CEO of an organization right through to the support worker. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that reaction and that chain of command can just transpire in somebody's life going from zero to 100 or 100 back to zero, you know, and, and that sort of, you know, that, that whole mental health aspect that I would comfortably say now that I've found a psychologist that I, I get along with, it, it's just lifted a heap off my brain that I can still go to work each day and separate life to work. And, you know, I've got mates that are very macho, very macho boys. And, you know, one in particular that he was going through a lot in his life that he was one of those macho men, I'm, I'm okay, I don't need to see anyone. And I sat down with him and I went, bro, it's okay. Like, yeah, the only person that's going to know is your doctor. You know, and and you can tell them anything and it's your chance to get things off your chest. Like you can sit there and talk for an hour and they don't even talk. And I guarantee you'll leave that room and you will feel 10 times better. And he did. And he rang me a week later and said, I did it. Like, thank you. That that's a message that we really need to get out. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts now that that do that. You know, there's a lot, um, you know, a big one is called the Alpha Blokes podcast. And they're literally two coal miners from Gladstone that are your very larrikin blokes, but they genuinely have created a community where anyone from a desk jockey to a truck driver to a chippy can ring up and just blow off some steam and, and delete a bit of head noise. Like, we need more of that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's, it's coming and I think people have gotten better at it. I think the difficulty then is breaking through to, I think, I wonder sometimes if it's still a little bit of a city-country thing, you know, where yeah. your country Blokey bloke, you know, it's it's why things like the suicide rate of farmers is 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 quite high. Um yep. and so you know it's it's about how how do we reach to them in that remote and again I can't remember the name of them, but they've just created a support coordination type organization up in Toowoomba. And they were a part of, I think it was called the Rural Mental Health um, Service. Don't quote me on that because I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fact. I'm not fact checking on this episode. <laughs> um, but they've gone into support coordination, and they literally said that the reason they're doing it and, and they've changed is they lost funding from the government. Mm. That they went, well, how do we continue to do something similar? So they've gone in and now they're doing psychosocial recovery coaching, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But how many 
of the old boys out on the farm that are 60, 70, that are battling, you know, price increases and inflation and fuel that won't have NDIS plans that are going, where do I turn to? Mm. Because it's gone. Yeah. And, and a psychologist with, with the cost of psychologists, sometimes that's also not achievable. Even if you told them it's okay and you convinced them that that's, it's okay to see a psychologist and see, see someone about it. The next barrier is, is the cost. And while the Medicare um, covers a little bit of it, it, doesn't cover an, a big enough percentage to make it useful for enough people. That's right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you're spot on. And there's not the services. So yeah. um, I, I will actually give, and you're going to go, oh my God, he's giving the government a prop. But I went to a, an event in Ipswich last week where the CEO for the um, PHN, West Morton and Darling Downs was there. And they've just announced a heap of stuff in the Ipswich region where they're doing the new satellite hospital. They're doing a Medicare clinic, which is aimed around that sort of mental health aspect. That's great. And, you know, I guess we can be a bit more biased because we're in that Ipswich, Darling Downs, Southeast Queensland region. But what about West? What about Outback WA? Yeah. You know, um, it's a bigger issue than these towns and, you know, that are in between two cities. Yeah. What about the remote services? What about Charleville? Um, what about Winton? You know, what about Outback Victoria? Yeah. Where's, where is it there? So, like I said, I could go on all day about that. Well, I worked um, in rural Victoria and I can tell you that, you know, I was covering... In, in that job, I was covering the whole of Gippsland and I would drive out to Lakes Entrance one day and then to Warragul the other way, you know. Um, and it, there's, there, there isn't ever enough people who are willing to live rurally um, who have those expertise um, so that's another thing is is encouraging those of us who you know have the university um, behind us to to move to rural areas so that they can then have access to the expertise that are needed and and how do you do that it's that's really difficult I mean they can't even incentivize GPS so how do they incentivize psychologists and speech pathologists and OTs and, you know, everyone else we need rurally um, yep. when they can't even incentivize yeah. GPs. So I don't know. It is. That is one of those tricky questions. I guess someone with a much bigger pay bracket is there <laughs> yeah. to try and make that decision. Than, above above than our me. pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. We can, we can sit here and, and advocate that it needs to be there. Um, yeah, look, uh, I think we're going to see the increase in your remote sort of servicing. Um, Toowoomba, we can't even get OTs. Yeah, I, I've so, heard this quite a few times and um, it, it sort of, yeah, it blows my mind. Like, so, so please tell me all of the services that Toowoomba so desperately needs and let's see oh, if we can speak to the people. Yeah. Yeah, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're an OT or a speechy, um, any allied health practitioner, Toowoomba desperately needs more. I understand we're an hour and a half away from Brisbane. However, there is a demand. Um, we've got some brilliant providers in Toowoomba, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we need you there because our quality isn't good, but there is wait lists. Um, Toowoomba is a very ageing um, and, and we need it. Our, our disability sector in Toowoomba is quite massive. You know, we've got numerous SDA properties, SIL properties, um, community access providers. We've got everything from an NDIS standpoint, apart from the allied health component. We just don't have enough. We need more OTs. Um, we need more behavioural pracs. You know, there's plenty studying. Like my wife is studying to be the behavioural prac and I'm studying OT. 
So, however, where am I going to go and get that experience to then be able to go into sort of, you know, my own practice? I need to get somewhere to do the practice first. And the problem is, is that they're all overworked. Yeah. So when they're all overworked, how do they put on a graduate? Yeah. They can't, they can't put in the time and effort to give that extra quality of service to a, a graduate because they're just so burnt out working themselves. So yes, if you are listening today and you're an OT or speechy, feel free to reach out to me and I'd love to chat more about Toowoomba. I, I love Toowoomba. Um, would I move to somewhere like the beach? Absolutely. I love the beach, but I also do love our little city. It, it, it's not what people perceive it to be. It is, it is actually a great little town um, and we need more. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Do you have any last few comments before we move on from mental health? Um, yeah, look, I guess the last thing I would say is I know I've probably focused a lot on the male component. But I think it's really important that we acknowledge that anyone has mental health, whether you identify as male, female, um, non-binary, any, anything else. You know, I, I think it's really important that we, we acknowledge mental health is, is there. We acknowledge that any person could have mental health. You may be sitting at your desk listening to us lab on for an hour right now, and the person next to you may secretly have mental health. I think it's really important that we just remember that and be there for your mates. You know, my, so being a cricketer, my cricket bat is actually covered in living.org's stickers. I, you know, a lot of people look at me and go, why is your bat covered in stickers? But it literally is covered in, you know, it, it ain't weak, weak to speak. Um, there's another podcast out there by a, a guy named Dan called the Blind Man Dan podcast. Um, he does a range of stickers that is more sort of towards your men's mental health. But for me, that that's how much of a mental health advocate I sort of, I am, is that, that I plastered everywhere. So I think final, check on your mates, tell them that it's okay. And yeah. And if you don't go. produce serotonin naturally, store-bought is fine. It's okay yeah. to take medication. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, people out there, and, and I've got people that are close to me that that I know that are on medication, that it doesn't make them any less of a human. No. It doesn't make them a robot. It doesn't make them anything. It, it's it's okay. Yeah. Like It helps me function. This is how I can do my job is because I have medication for my mental health. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know some incredibly intelligent people. But probably more more smart than me. Like I'm more than welcome to say that there's a lot of people out there more smart than me. Um, but yeah, you know, please don't think that because you're on medication that you're some different robot kind of thing. You know, we all have ups and downs, and if that's what it takes to help you be who you are, then be proud of who you are. Yeah. Fantastic. Our last question of the podcast is, in oh, your I ideal was... world, what would the future of the NDIS look like? Oh, now, like I said to you before we started recording, this is another question that I could literally have 18 different answers. Okay. Um, I want to see more collaboration. I want there to be more providers working together. Um Toowoomba, we don't have the events that you guys do down in Brisbane. Like you, you guys could literally go to a different event nearly every day run by different service providers. We're very far and few in between. Um, you know, we're, we're very lucky now that we've got get going support that are coming up and doing one every sort of month or two. Cocoon, I've sort of started a, a coffee on the opposite month that get going are doing theirs. Um, Connect Fest will be there on Friday. It is. How awesome. This will be my first Connect Fest. And I've met Karen virtually years ago and then reconnected when I first started back with Cocoon earlier um, a few months ago. And I can't wait for Friday. I've seen so much on there, um, heard so much about it that, yeah, it is awesome that it's coming to Toowoomba. We also are looking at a few other things. So 
um, we're doing some community breakfasts. Oh, cool. So that's a that's a sneak peek. I haven't announced that in Toowoomba yet. So this is going to be the first for anyone that listens. Um, that's going to be a Cocoon and Food Assist Toowoomba collaboration. So Food Assist Toowoomba provide um, hampers at a low cost for any person in Toowoomba that feels they, they need to access that, which is a brilliant organisation on their own right. Brilliant charity. Um, so collaboration is one. Um, I'd like to see a bit more of a focus on sporting inclusion. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really big one. I think we can look off things and Cocoon were very lucky that we sponsored the Australian World Cup side at last year's physical wheelchair rugby league World Cup. Okay. Um, and one of our ambassadors is actually a, a Paralympian. So I would like to see as an NDIS whole, though, try and investigate more way that we start getting some health activities and sport and fun. And the NDIS is there to help a person's life be better and have more fun. And I feel that sometimes that gets abused because providers get paid a lot of money and go, well, let's just keep them alive. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what you're there for. Yeah. You're not there just to keep them alive. You're there to give them a quality of life. Yeah. Have you been and to if- see the new facility that Sporting Wheelies has just finished building? They just no. opened it, uh, I think, like a week or two ago. Um, and it's in, for everyone else around Australia, I apologise, this is a very Brisbane-centric thing to talk about, um, and we do have big numbers in the rest of Australia, so I feel slightly bad. Anyway, for those in Brisbane, Sporting Wheelies um, is an organisation that started with um, wheelchair basketball and now they do all of the sports to do with um, para sports, disability sports, and they've just built, finished building a multi-million dollar um, facility, stadium thingamabob that in Milton. Um, and it has Ooh. apparently courts for a whole range of different sports and they have exercise physiologists and physios and um, all of that. So I would recommend you check that out. That's awesome. And that's something that we need all around Australia. Yeah. There's no reason as to why we can't, and I know there's been some chat about it in Toowoomba, that they're looking at a gym that is going to be disability only. That would be amazing. So that we can have exercise fizz and physios and all your you know, remedial massage and all of that that can be covered and having that in a gym so that if you've got a disability, you can also go to the gym without feeling that stigma. I feel it. I go to my, lo- I try to go to my local gym. And I walk in and they go, oh, that's a guy with one leg trying to ride the exercise bike. Well, sorry, mate, but I could probably do more kilometres on this bike than you can. Mm. You know, so, yeah, that is awesome. 100%. We need more of that around the whole country. And Um, with with a disability-friendly gym, what I would like to see is also, like, like it be sensory-friendly, so not heaps of overhead lights and it – the – um, machines be a little bit apart rather than like right on top of each other. <laughs> there be space yep. between machines. And I know that then requires a bigger space and real estate is expensive and all of that. But it's it's very hard to go to a gym and feel like everyone's on top of you. And there's another avenue to that too, Hannah. If you're in a town that has an indoor sporting centre, go to the, your local centre and ask them, what can we do to start a disability sporting program? All these centres will normally do cricket, volleyball, soccer, netball. Some are now investing in pickleball. Why can't we get those types of centres starting to run more inclusion programs? And sporting, Indoor sporting centres are dying throughout Australia. Known fact. Um, there's centres dying in Brisbane, you know, and they're very lucky that they most of them have inflatable world franchises to keep them running. However, why can't we be looking to tap into those types of resources to go, hey, we can put half the lights on. You know, I used to run an indoor sporting centre 
for about nine months. I was their business development, but I also created a soccer disability program. They have a very successful indoor cricket disability program. And then I ran an autism friendly inflatable world morning where yes, the blower vacs were on because how else do you inflate the inflatables? <laughs> but we only turned, we didn't turn as many lights on. We turned enough to meet safety guidelines, yep. but then we had it capped on tickets and it was only autism. So it was around autism day that I ran it. And it was a person with autism and their family because we go to all these other events. I only, and I know we're going off track here, it's all good. But I only I only saw it on Facebook literally about three hours ago where somebody had put on there that they wanted to go to one of the stadiums to watch some sort of an event. Might have been Luke Combs because seriously, who didn't want to go to Luke Combs in Australia? I know I tried, but they could only take one person to sit in the disability sector uh, section yeah. of the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't take the rest because obviously that would take away from other potential accessibility tickets. Yeah. So being able to run an event like I did at Inflatable World, we allowed them to bring their families. Yeah. We we capped the total um, numbers that could be on the inflatables to about 75, which was great because that's over a matter of sort of 12 to 13 different inflatables that you'd be lucky to have one or two on a inflatable. So So that's what I want to see more. More sport, more fun, more activity, but last but not least, more regulations. And this is the political one Go. that there needs to be more regulations out there. For becoming Again, a provider, I'm, do you mean? Yeah. 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 And, and I know that's probably going to ruffle some feathers and some people right now are going to go, oh, he had a really cool story, but he's now a dickhead. <laughs> but I, But I do think that there needs to be that process because, again, I've said this throughout the last 55 minutes to an hour. We are here to provide an essential service to a person that I love the fact that everyone wants to become a support worker. And I hope to God that you have a reason why. I can give a tip to anyone that wants to apply to Cocoon. I would love to hear from support workers that want to work for us. My first question is, tell me why you want to work in this sector. Yeah. What's your why? You have to give me. Yeah. Because I've said my why. My why. My why isn't even me. I can honestly say I don't work in this sector because of my own personal life. I work in it because of my godson. He's eight. I want. I need to make sure that when he's old enough that he might need his own SIL or his own SDA or his own restrictive practices or his own PBSP plans, that there's someone out there that has the same passion that I do. Yeah. Because if you're not like that, then you're really taking advantage of our sector and it's one that I don't like. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, you can find Matt and all of our um, guests' information in the episode description. So um, if you wanted to get in touch with him, it'll be there. Can I also, yeah, can I just say thank you? <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, we've only met physically once. Yeah. Um, that was literally a matter of like a month ago. Yeah. But. I think it's really important that we have these types of platforms. I think it's, and, and it's not even about trying to promote the business you work for. Yeah. You know, like I came on here today wanting to talk about my story, the fact that you can have a disability, work in our sector, you can achieve any dream you want and to then be given an opportunity to talk about it is very humbling. Um, I took your offer as a, real humble feeling because there's people out there with much probably better stories than me you know I was just very unlucky on a day that I was riding a motorbike and the bike didn't turn and I and I hit a truck obviously I've had to overcome a lot to be who I am where I am and it's given me my reason to be here but if you're out there and you've got a story don't be afraid to tell it don't be afraid to reach out to people and and do it um yeah, you know, I've got aspirations of my own podcast that coming on here today was sort of me looking, hmm, I wonder if I should try and do more podcasts, try and do my own. So thank you. Um, there needs to be more of this and share it. Don't share mine because people probably don't want to listen to me, but go and share the podcast. Go and share it in your organisation. Let's get more people listening to people like Hannah that, that want to get just regular human beings on a podcast to 
chat for an hour because that's what we need. We don't want to hear from, you know, your top dogs that work in government and things like that. We we need to hear more authentic people from our sector. Yeah. So yeah, don't be don't be weak to speak and don't be afraid. Yeah. Well sometimes people I have asked people and they're like, oh no, I couldn't possibly, that's too scary. And I I think it's interesting because to me this is just a conversation a bit like over coffee that we just happen to have recorded and I most of the time guests say to me that um they actually had fun and they didn't expect to have fun having a chat and and recording it um so I hope you also had fun (laughs) yeah absolutely it's sort of that again it's hard because you're talking about yourself yeah um and I guess anyone that does know me that listens to this will go, oh, Matt knows how to talk. What a surprise. <laughs> you know, I, I don't shut up as an example would be the last hour. Um, but yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. It is fun. It, it's, and if I've helped one person out there today to possibly go, you know what, I'm going to go and kick the world in the ass. Then I've done my job. If I've talked one person that may be thinking, I'm not okay, I need to go and talk to someone and they go and do it. But I could have saved someone's life and I'll never know. Yeah. But don't be afraid to do it. Yeah. Well, thank you that's so my, much. <laughs> my mic, that's my mic drop moment and I probably need to go back to work because I'll probably be asked where the hell I am. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at what in the NDIS pod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.